So often as women, we are given scripts that we so rarely question. Grow up to be a good girl. Say yes to the dress. Get married. Start a family. I grew up a good girl, a type A student, a true believer in church and family and God. But as I got older, I realized I wasn't happy, that I had done everything correctly, gotten everything right. Hell, I'd even had one boy and one girl. But somehow, getting everything right felt so wrong. I eventually shoehorned myself from my life and started over, but I'd always wondered, what if? What if I rebelled a little earlier, challenged those scripts sooner? Welcome to This American Ex-Wife. I'm Liz Lentz. Today, we're talking with Aubrey Hirsch, who is a woman who has always questioned those scripts. When she got married both times, she kept her last name, something so few women do, even now in 2023. And when she had her children, she gave them her last name. Aubrey wrote about this decision, and it caused a small firestorm on the internet, with people accusing her of ruining her children's lives, among many other things. I watched in fascination as Aubrey handled all these criticisms so well, pointing out that they revealed how flimsy our relationships and our feminism is if it can't hold up to someone reversing the old scripts. I love Aubrey, her wit, her talent and insight, and her confidence. She's everything I wished I had been so many years earlier. Aubrey is a writer and illustrator living in New York. She is the author of a short story collection, Why We Never Talk About Sugar, and a flash fiction chat book, This Will Be His Legacy. She is the recipient of a 2022 National Endowment for the Arts Fellowship in Literature, and she's here to talk to us about last names, ex-wiffery, and so much more. Let's get to the show. Where did you get the audacity to keep your last name? And give it to your children when you got married. Yeah, I I mean, for sure, like the keeping my name, the passing it on, it was just kind of always a thing in my life, I think. I grew up, and this is true, I'm sure, in everyone's family, but we're, we're like all of the middle names were all of the like dead names that had that were like the grandmother's name and then no one else had it. You know, like my older sister's middle name was my grandmother's birth name, but because she was a woman, that name didn't get passed down anymore. It was over. Do you mean her maiden name? Yes. I don't okay. love that term. No, I don't I love it either. Like I'm in a tower or something. True. Yes. Oh, well, but, you are. Yeah. You are in a tower. <laughs> <laughs> or I was in a tower. I guess I'm still right. in the tower because I still have my... Maiden name. So you mean her birth last name? Okay, continue. I just yeah to clarify. And like my father's middle name was his grandmother's maiden name, which mm-hmm. then was over. And I have two sisters, so there are no boys in the generation of my family. So if none of us decided to keep the name Hirsch or pass it on, that would be the end, right? And I don't know. I didn't like that. I feel like I've always identified with the name because it's been mine since I was born. It's always felt like my name. It never would have occurred to me that I would want to change it. And it felt important to me to pass it on because otherwise, what are we going to do? And indeed, both my sisters took their 
husband's names when they got married and their kids have that, you know, their whole family now has that name. So, um, yeah, I just, it was just important to me to keep it going. I, um, I really struggled with this when I got married too, because I, um, loved my, uh, my last name. It's Baranowski. Um, obviously anybody listening knows that I no longer go by that name, but it's this like big Polish last name, which is kind of like so many of my family inheritances been a burden, and, <laughs> but my burden and um, I, you know, I loved how unique it was. I love that it's so Polish. Uh, it's like, it's like a walking kielbasa, right? <laughs> like you can't. And, but, but when I got married, you know, and I was, I was, I really wanted to keep it. And uh, the person I married was very much like, no, no, you cannot. We have to be a family. We have to be a family unit. We mm-hmm. have to do this. And then it was also like, don't you want to, why do you want the burden of a name nobody can spell or pronounce? You know, why do you even want that? And then there's also family dynamics, which I love. I love my family, but uh, we, we, we struggle um, together as all families do. And, you know, there are some elements that, you know, it might've felt maybe a little freeing to find a new identity. I guess I, I really want to know how in your mind you negotiated some of those elements or was it just never an issue for you? Were you just always able to say, this is what I want, take it or leave it? Yeah, I mean, I think my, like, general vibe <laughs> pretty much self-selects for feminist <laughs> men. <laughs> I don't know if there was much danger of me getting to like date three with a man who would be like, no, the woman takes the man's name. It just, it, long before that, we would have understood that like we were not compatible in that fundamental way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, all the Hirsches in my family are great. I have yeah. no no sense of like, oh, I'd like to, you know, distance myself from this name or get out of here with that. Um, you know, I like them. My I have a my grandfather whose name is Hirsch was very interested in genealogy and he has these like big giant genealogy books and he can trace the family all the way back to like the 1600s in Sweden. It's very cool. So all of that I think contributed to me just like feeling really attached and connected to this name. And, you know, I don't think I would have married someone who would have said no, or felt like they were entitled to say no. Yeah. You know, I think when I look back and of course, hindsight is always 2020, but well, that- you were a child bride, Liz, weren't you like 11 <laughs> or something? I would have I was... done whatever. I was 22. Um, I have to say, I was talking with my daughter about all the jobs I've had. And I mentioned a job I had at 23 and she goes, Oh, was that before you were married? And I was like, Oh no, honey, I got married at 22. Don't you remember? And the way she looked at me, she goes, (laughs) just like, because that's her in 10 years. That is my literal child in 10 years. And she just was looking at me like, what were you thinking? And nothing's more validating to me that like I'm raising a child better who can judge the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> and yet it's it's a little tough. But um, 
I, I yes, I was a child bride, but I do. I when I look back, I think of it as so many people are taught, uh, not in the Hirsch's family, but so many people are taught that like marriage and relationships are compromised, right? And that you just have to give up some things to make it all work, which I no longer believe is true. I don't think that you should have to give up fundamental aspects of what you want in your identity to make a functioning relationship. But at the time, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, well, this is just something I have to give up to make it work, right? And I gave it up. And um, I remember sitting in that social security office, and it's so hard to change your last name too. It's not easy. Like, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard yeah you're like, I wouldn't in the know. Ass, and like your documents don't <laughs> yeah, match and it's no. like a whole drama. Yeah. And actually it's so funny because I was never able to change it on my PayPal because like, <laughs> At the time, I don't know if this is still true. I just gave up. But like at the time, like PayPal was like, you have to fax us all these documents. And I'm like, PayPal, it is 2005. Wow. I can't find a fax machine. Like, you have to get a time machine first and right. then you can access a fax machine. And I was like, on the, I remember being on the phone with their customer service, which that person does not get paid enough to deal with this. But I was like, I don't know how, like you are asking, and I'm like, surely I'm not the only person who's gotten married and had to change their name. And they're like, why you just have to do this? And I was like, you know what? Fine. And uh, so now, you know, if I like donate to a GoFundMe or something, it's always under You don't get the credit. No, I don't get the credit. In fact, this is such a side point, but like, uh, it was like a couple years ago where I had donated to something and, and I had like put on Twitter, I donated to this. You guys should all do so too, you know, some good, pro- some good endeavor. And, uh, and, and a couple of people were tweeting, no, she actually didn't. Uh, and I was like, yes, guys, I did. And I had to like slip into their DMs and be like, Hey, Thank you for holding me accountable. However, I did. It's under this name. Here's a screenshot. Please don't be a dick on the internet. Thank oh, you. Oh, wow. That's so much nicer than I would have been. I wouldn't have been in the DMs. I would have been on Maine with the receipts. Like, well, shut your mouth. I now remember the situation. And it was one of those where it's like, I don't want to distract from the good that we're trying to do. Oh, well, um, you're just fundamentally a better person. Than I <laughs> no, I don't think that that's true at all. So. You gave your children your last name too. But when you, so when you wrote about this for time, you wrote a lot about people's reactions when they realize what you have done. And, and you wrote a lot about like the structural biases or the structural inconveniences that make your choice really difficult. Can you talk us through that? Because, um, I mean, over 90% of people who get married, women who get married, if they marry men, take their husband's last name. So talk us through your alternate reality. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll say like, it hasn't been difficult in a way that like, I wouldn't recommend it. I would definitely recommend it. It's been fine, but for sure, you know, it's just the system is set up in a certain way. And there's a way that people think about it, you know, and like how, families are supposed to work and how names are supposed to get passed on. So like when my first son was born, I remember feeling kind of braced, like, Ooh, this might be a problem. And it was not, it was totally fine. 
But then when my second son was born, you know, you have to talk to the social security office people in the hospital. And then you tell, you spell the names for the birth certificate, whatever. So it's like a whole thing. They ask you, you know, what's your first and last name? Please spell it. Where were you born? Uh, what's the father's first and last name, blah, blah, blah. So they had asked me like for first and last name, they had asked me for where I was born and when was I married? You know, I said, yes. Then they asked me for my partner's information. I gave them all of his information, spelled his last name, et cetera. And then they're asking about the baby. When was the baby born? Spell the name. I spell the first name and the middle name. And then she's like, thank you. And I'm like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I didn't tell you the last name. And she's like, I've got it. And she spells my partner's last name. And I was like, no, actually, it's it's H-I-R-S-E. And she's like, I thought you said you were married. And I was like, I am married. And she's like, when you're married, baby gets dad's last name. And I was like, no, 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 wait, wait. Because I'm like, all you know, I've just given birth. I'm exhausted. And I'm also worried that she's going to go rogue and put a different name on the birth certificate. And as you pointed out, it is not easy to change a name once it's in there. So I'm like, uh, no, uh, no, you can actually name your kid literally anything. You can just make weird shit up and put that on the birth certificate. And she's like, uh, I'm going to need to talk to your partner. Or, or I think she said, I'm going to need to talk to dad. And I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, it was just upsetting. Because again, I had just had a baby. Like, what did he do? You know, <laughs> nothing. So it was upsetting, the idea of like, I need to talk to dad. But in any case, at some point, she heard me when I was like, this is not a thing you need to stress about. Like you, you need to just hear what I'm telling you and write down what I'm telling you. And we got the birth certificate and it said the right name. So that was like kind of the first one. And then there's other stuff like when, if their dad would go to an airport with them, cause his last name is different. We would always like send a letter with him. That's like, Hey, it's okay. Um, or he would get called Mr. Hirsch a lot because people assume, of course, if the children's last name is Hirsch, their dad's last name must be Hirsch, which in our, our family is nothing. I see you like smiling and rubbing your hands together. And that's exactly how I felt every time. Um, and it never really bothered him too much. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, and then it's just people always ask, you know, they're always like, oh, that's interesting. Or like, oh, I'm just, I had a pediatrician who's like, oh, I'm just curious. Like, why do the kids have your last name? And I'm, I'm like, cause I'm their mom. Like, what do you mean? It's not like I picked a word out of the ether. Like why is Hirsch their last name? It's my last name. Is that not enough of an answer <laughs> that people need to ask questions and kind of figure it out? Like it's a little puzzle or a mystery or something. I don't know. I did all the work. Like, why should he be the first author? Right. So your choice, and of course it's deeply personal, but it's also very it's also very political. But I think it exposes the lie, let's say it, that women have a choice, right? That like, so women are told, like, oh yeah, you have all these choices, you have all these choices, but God forbid you actually make the choice to do the opposite. And then everybody's minds are blown. And I think, it, you know, it just really exposes that lie that we do have the choice um, that, you know, I heard from so many people who got a little defensive and were like, well, 
when I took my husband's last name, it was totally my choice, blah, blah. blah. And I was like, really? Because if 90% or more than 90%, it's actually a really hard statistic to track, um, of people are, of women are doing this, is it really a choice? And then when you go against the grain, you you get punished or questioned, or it becomes a little bit more difficult, then it's not really a choice at that point, is it? I tell that too, where people will will see my uh, story and automatically offer their reason why they didn't. You yes. know, like, oh, well, you know, we didn't do that because my husband's last name is better. And I'm like, that's cool. You know, I like, I do think there are tons and tons of valid reasons why a woman might want to take her husband's name. Maybe you come from an abusive family. Maybe your name is difficult to spell and you don't like that. You know, maybe his name is just really cool. Maybe you like the idea of the one family name and that's what you negotiate between the two of you. Like I have no judgment for anybody. Maybe you like the patriarchy. Maybe you love the patriarchy. Just say it. Valid reason. I said valid reason. (laughs) Just say you love it. Just say I love men telling me what to do. Just say it. <laughs> I'm sure that's in there too. But like, that's like word, you know, you do you. But obviously it's true that this is not actually like a free choice where it's like, who knows what will happen. There is a default assumption and you can swim against that current, but you have to work harder and you have to do that or you can go with it. And of course- as you say, 90% of people go with it. I don't think it's true that a lot of couples sit down and have a conversation. What do we want to do about names? What name would we pass on to our children? That's my ideal. And then like, I don't care whose name gets picked. Y'all decide. But like, it should be a thing that people talk about. When you wrote about this um, on the internet, you caused not just a small firestorm um, that was delightful to watch. I mean, I know it's not fun for you to get harassed on the internet, but I think you particularly always handle it so well. Um, But I was really impressed by your analysis um, that when you you were tweeting this and you also write it in the essay about how like, that it's so detrimental to power structures or that it undermines and questions power structures, this one small choice that people try to pretend these power structures don't exist, right? Like we're trying to be like, oh, it's fine. Like it's fine. Women have choices. It's 2023. There's no problems for women in America. (laughs) (laughs) We solved that. We did. Everything's great. But you know, you wrote, um, I've seen so many variations of people asking, why would you give the kids your father's last name instead of your husband's that at times I begin to feel invisible. It's not just my father's name. It's my name. Couldn't they see that erasing a woman's ownership of her own name is a symptom of the same disease I'm trying to remedy? Um, What other ways do you see um, our society erasing mothers and wives, women? women specifically oh man well we only have an hour so it's hard to give like a complete accounting but you know I mean it's just everything like obviously all of the labor all of the Mm -hmm. like emotional labor all of the domestic labor 
all of the work that goes into being like what I call project manager of the kids or of the house or of the holidays, right? Where like you're the person who knows everything and you dictate the tasks. So you say to your partner, can you do this? Can you do this? Um, Could you help me with this? Or like, can you buy this? Can you drive this person here? Um, But you have to hold all that in your brain. Like I, sometimes I think about the things I could accomplish if I didn't know where every single object my children own is at all times. But like I do, you know, when they're like, where are my goalie gloves? I'm like in your room in the top bin on the right side. You know, like I know all that stuff. It's all taking up space in my brain. So I think like all of that stuff just gets erased. And then, yeah, like you say, a lot of the things that people call choices that are not choices, you know, like whose name are you going to take? Whose name are you going to pass on to your kids? But also like, who's going to take the hit when you have a kid and all of a sudden everyone's work life explodes? You know, who, how are you going to divide that 60, 40, 80, 20? Is somebody going to leave the workforce? And how often is that person a woman? I think this all got magnified times a thousand during lockdowns when all of a sudden kids needed to be schooled at home by their parents. And overwhelmingly, it was women. You know, women reduced their workload time five times more than men. Um, and again, I doubt that's just a coincidence where all the families were sitting down and saying, wow, we're entering into a really tough time. Like, let's talk about how we're going to divide up this labor. And all the women were like, oh, well, I happen to have five times as many hours as you in my day. So I'll do this and you do this. I just don't think that's how it happened. I think they just had to do it. And so they did. Right. When your system, when your country grossly underpays women to men when you sit down then then you say oh well who earns more who can take the hit like it's always gonna be not always but most of the time it's gonna be the woman because the system is set up for her to get paid less also my favorite statistic from that era of time was um the one where like it was like 40% of men thought that they were doing equal work. Oh, and yeah. only three, it was like 3% of, of women agreed. And I think about that all the time, especially when I write about like gender gap stuff. You know, yeah. um, I wrote a lot about income gap too. Like if a woman out earns her male partner, she's still doing more housework. He has more leisure time, mm-hmm. um, all these kinds of things. And I had all these well-meaning, well-meaning liberal men get into the comments and be like, well, my wife out earns me and it's not a problem. And I want to be like, is it, or do you just not see it? Like, is it not a problem or is she just doing a little extra work to make it work? And you literally do not see that labor because it has never occurred to you to look for it. You know, like yeah. sit her down and ask her, you're such a good guy. Great. Sit your wife down and say, Hey, do we really divide tasks equally? Like, do I really do 50%? Cause in my mind, I do 60%. Is that true, ma'am? Like, I would love, I would love that. And the man initiates it. Women don't initiate this conversation. Like, this is not, uh, I hate the advice that's like, women, sit down, figure this out. It's like, why? I'm so sick of figuring out all the problems. And that's why I got a divorce. (laughs) 
Yeah, but it's also like structural and these expectations have been in place for so long that like a lot of men who like are good men and want to do their share, it's like their bosses are less accommodating of them or their coworkers don't understand because they're like, don't you have a wife? You know, and then and like, again, that just makes it so that like if the wife is like, well, my boss understands if my project's late and the husband is like, mine will kill me then it's going to go to her. And that might not be, he might really want to make, make it work and like do better. But again, it's like everywhere it's structural, it's top down. we got to burn everything and start over. Absolutely. And you're right. I, there are so many, and I think there are so many men who would love to be more involved fathers, right? Mm-hmm. Would love mm-hmm. to be able to quit their job. Definitely. And, and they should, as we spoke at the top of this <laughs> podcast, men should stay in the home. They're more nurturing. They're more nurturing. (laughs) They're bigger. They can carry children more easily. Yeah. Yeah. One kid on each of those big manly arms. Uh, God help you if you have a third. I can't help you there, but uh, on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Aubrey, my parents had eight children. Yeah. I, that's just, I can't, I can't conceive of that. It's too many of us out there in the world. And my mom should have definitely stopped at number two. Me. (laughs) She perfected it. It was like, okay, rough draft, final draft. Right. It's all downhill from there. Um, Jokes on my siblings because they never listen. Is it because you had to fight over food? So like only (laughs) only you and the older one got. So what's really funny is actually um, like, I remember going to my now ex-husband's, they have four children, so still a lot, but like Thanksgiving when we were dating and there's this like basket of rolls on the table, right? And I was just like, and it was passed around and everybody took one roll and it was very civil and nice. And I remember just being blown away because at my house, it'd be like five rolls, all mine, none for you. Like, (laughs) Like this still happens where my brother, who is a grown adult man with a job and children will like take cupcakes and spit on it and be like, that's mine. (laughs) Oh my God. And I, and me, the trash monster, I'll be like, fine, I'm still eating it anyway. That that's like, it's like, it's like Lord of the flies when there's eight (laughs) kids, like there's no rules. And it took me until my twenties to be like, oh yeah, not every family has like long drawn out fights over who can have the roles or who had more roles. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you got to get to like, you know, I I don't cook. So in my head, I'm like roles. Oh yes. They come in a cylindrical can that you crack open. And it's like, well, if there's eight people, you got to get like two, eight kids and two adults and you're on to another whole cylinder of roles, even That's just to so, cover everybody. So many cylinders and they're not, right. they're not cheap, you know, no, they're Those really cylinders. not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> no, now I know why we only had them on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's get, let's get back to the point. Not, <laughs> let's not talk about my childhood food trauma. Oh, <laughs> But it's also like, you know, like a starving person where they like cover their food and like yeah, eat, totally you know. like eat really fast. Yeah, that's like how I learned to eat. Basically, it's like because my brother will he will stick his fork into somebody else's food and just eat it. He has no compunctions. The spit, the spit force field doesn't work. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. OK, one last story. He 
perfected this in childhood, but he would stick straws together and then just like stick them in other people's cups to drink other people's drinks. Wow. It's like the, <laughs> I drink your milkshake, but like IRL. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I've also seen him in college do this at bars to drink other people's drinks. I think now since COVID, he would not be so cavalier. But That's good. So is he like, is it like dickhead or genius? Is it a blend of the two? Um, that's such a great question. Are brothers dickheads or geniuses? That's a subject for a whole other podcast. It was a beautiful September day in an iconic area in Iowa known as Grant Wood Country. We had a four-year-old son. We had just built a house on the outskirts of our small hometown. I had experienced moments of bona fide bliss in the weeks and months prior, holding our son on my hip, looking out at the rolling hills in our backyard. Then, I don't think I want to be married anymore. It's not like I hadn't been warned. A co-worker had taken me aside a few months earlier to let me know that people often have affairs during the Register's great bike ride across Iowa, also known as Ragbri. I lingered in absolute misery for six months, cohabitating with a man who would not admit his infidelity. The way through my hellish limbo presented itself on a frigid day in January when I ventured down to my husband's workplace unannounced. On his office wall, a bulletin board filled frame to frame with pictures of him posed with individual women and their bicycles. That is the moment I decided to file for divorce. Settlement came just before we were to go in front of a judge. My soon-to-be ex suddenly realized he didn't want to trot out our financial affairs in front of his first ex-wife, the court bailiff. Meanwhile, I had sworn off men for the rest of my life, truly. But one day, waiting for my records to be sent over to a local medical office, the receptionist and I struck up a conversation. 25 years later, I'm happily married to her third ex-husband. Has it been easy since my divorce? No. Was I able to co-parent effectively with my ex? Yep. Am I friends with the receptionist? Heck yeah. This is a audio medium, if people yeah. didn't know. So you cannot see Aubrey's hair, but um, you recently, uh, you dyed it a little and just to kind of bring back the grays in and now you're going to let them come in. And I want to talk about that. Let's just make this a referendum on Aubrey's choices. No, I admire you. You were born with audacity. You're the person I want to be in the world. Oh, so sweet. But um, as somebody who does dye her hair, I have the grays coming in. I dye my hair. I'm, a, I'm afraid of becoming aging out of relevancy. I'm afraid of, um, because it's this balance I feel and I feel it even now the older I get that's like I feel like I've got to still be hot enough so people listen to me which is Girl, yes and like I can get good service at the oil change place and mm -hmm. that doctors will believe me when I say I'm having a symptom it's like you got to be good looking when you go to the doctor or nothing yeah yeah because you know go out there for what <laughs> God forbid you be overweight and go in and say, I have oh, pain. No, and they're it. like, forget have it. you tried losing 40 pounds? And you're like, I'll kill you is yeah. what I'll do. Um, and so I, you know, I struggle with this where it's like, I want that gravitas. You know, there's a lot of like advice out there. It's like women, just let yourself age, just let yourself age. And I'm always like, yeah, but if I do that, 
are people going to stop listening to me? Because I feel like if, if men can't see themselves fucking me, are they ever going to listen to me? You know, if I get to crone stage mm-hmm. is how, and how do we, and I think especially like we're both creative people. It is uh, kind of an image driven field in so many ways. Like totally. how do you find balance and confidence in, in that kind of space? Tell me, give me advice. Such a great question. Well, you know, I think like one thing I'll say is like, I'll report back. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm uh, recently in, so I don't know yet if I'm going to totally lose relevance, but mm-hmm. I'll either let you know, or you'll just know. Cause you'll wake up one morning and be like, whatever happened to that? What was her name? Audrey? Whatever happened to her? She used to like do stuff on the internet. Um, Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, look, I started to go gray like in my twenties, which happened to all the women in my family. So I had gray hair coming in, in like graduate school. And I used to often dye my hair like red, you know, silly stuff. And it was fun. And then at some point I real kind of realized I had switched over to dyeing it, not for fun, (laughs) but like, because I was uncomfortable when I looked in the mirror and had gray roots coming in. And that was not a pleasant experience for me. And it was kind of a new one because I, I've never been a person who looks in the mirror and is like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I've always just been kind of like, it's cool. I'm down, you know, but when my roots would come in, I would feel self-conscious. And also like, because I kept dying them, my hair would be so dark on the top of my head. Cause that's, you know, when you do, you got to overlap the color a little bit. I'm gesturing wildly. You guys can't see it, but it's really super clear what I'm talking about. Cause the gestures. So it gets very dark up there, very tone on tone. And then the gray looks so stark that, um, I kind of was just like, you know, kind of don't want to do this anymore. And also we're all doing it. And I think that skews everyone's perception of people's age, because it's like, if you have gray hair, people are like, oh my God, are you a thousand? And it's like, no, the average white woman starts to get gray hair in her early thirties. I'm 32, you know, but it, I'm, I'm not 32. I'm doing a bit, but like <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. Uh, how old you actually are. If you have gray hair, you look old because everybody dyes their hair until they're 75. So we don't perceive women in the world with gray hair who aren't in their 70s and 80s. But I think that's changing maybe a little bit. I think more and more I, I will see, or maybe it's just my Instagram because this is what I'm doing and my phone is always listening. But like in my Instagram, I'll see younger women who are letting their gray hair come in just as it comes in. And I don't know. I kind of think it looks cool. I think it's like cool girl vibes. Like, oh, I don't care. I can't be bothered. I'm too busy vacationing and like applying eyeliner perfectly to keep up with my roots. Also, I've always had dark hair uh, and I'm kind of excited about the idea of having light hair because I I kind of want to do some fun. Like I bought some fun temporary colors like purple and blue just like I don't know let's see you know like let's see what's going on I mostly just want taking care of my hair dyeing my hair I want that to be like fun again Mm. and something I'm like excited to be like "Ooh, this will be cool and not what it was which was like I guess I have to take like an hour and a half on Wednesday like put this stuff on my hair it smells terrible and then like stand perfectly still like a statue for 30 minutes and then rinse it off and then clean my bathroom. I just, I wasn't, I didn't like it. It wasn't fun. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, I think this ties in a little bit to ex-wifery. Um, you have been an ex-wife, um, but uh, that's so weird. I was going to say, but you aren't any longer because you're married. Wow, Liz, the patriarchy deep inside you. Cancel me. You know, I, whenever Cancel I go to the me. doctor and there's like a forum and it's like single, married, divorced, widowed. I'm like, I don't know. I'll just check like all of them, I guess, except for widowed. I'll be like, yeah, like, uh, yes, divorced. Yes, married. I don't know. Like, check, check, check. But also I hate that because it's like, how does being divorced have any sort of relevancy to, so you know, the COVID vaccine that I need to get right now? Like what, like how does it affect my collect? I could see why being married it might up your stress level or something. <laughs> They're like, oh, married woman. She does more housework. Let's get her out of here fast. Yeah. Let's get her out. So she can, along. so she can clean the floor. <laughs> Um, but I do, and I do think that there is an expectation when you are an ex-wife. Um, and again, maybe it's just something I felt and wasn't able to shake off, but I felt this pressure when I was leaving my marriage that, oh no, I have to be hot now. Like I can't be comfortable. And I, and I know as a, as a married woman with children, there was that pressure a little bit too because it's like, well, you had your babies. Now you got to get your, you know, post baby body oh, back. Course. And then of Love course that. the divorce, it's like, you have to have the revenge body. And, and um, I mean, I was stressed out, miserable. It, it was a hard time for me. And, um, but, but my misery was resulting in a more uh, like culturally acceptable ideal of a body. And so it was getting, people were being like, wow, you look great. You look great. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I haven't eaten in like three days and I'm compulsively working out, but sure. Yeah. Like reinforce this. But I do wonder too about that, like ex-wife body standard. Did you ever feel it? Did you ever, um, how did that work? For you and your life, since we're talking about hair too. Yeah, that's such a good question. And I have to say, like, when I was reading your questions and you had sent that one, I was like, oh, like it never even occurred to me. Like, maybe I should, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right. Like, you're supposed (laughs) to, like, get super hot. And, like, I should have gotten, like, lip filler and, like, hit the gym. No, I totally didn't. I mean, I think part of it was timing. Like, my, my husband and I separated, <laughs> you're going to love this, in February of 2020. So I don't know if y'all remember what happened in March of 2020, <laughs> but the whole world stopped. So it was like, I had other things going on that, you know, I was not thinking about going to the gym. I mean, you couldn't go to the gym. There was no gym. There was nothing. I was thinking about trying to survive and keep my career somewhat afloat and homeschool my kids and protect them from this massive trauma that we were all undergoing and survive this like insane global pandemic and then, you know, come out the other side somewhat intact. It was like, I was barely even processing the breakup, you know, because there was just the whole world was falling apart. <laughs> I don't know if it was like the best timing or the worst timing to go from married to divorce, but it was one or the other. Yeah, who who knows? But yeah, it honestly never occurred to me until I read your question. And then I was like, huh, well, 
I fucked that one up, I guess. Like (laughs) if there's a long like checklist of like expectations for women, mine is like dismal. It's not good. I, I love that about you. And I would like to raise my children in the way in the ways of the Hershes that somehow <laughs> insulated you from all these uh, pressures so that you could confidently go forth and just be like, yeah, this is who I am. This is exactly what I want. And it's so powerful. And it comes through in your writing where I think you're so incisively able to see through the bullshit. Um, because perhaps it it didn't affect you in a way like you got you were patriarchy waterproofed or something yeah I think I have some kind of like undiagnosed personality disorder probably because <laughs> I, <laughs> I I don't know like I might be a little bit of a sociopath but when I was like in school and kids would like make fun of me I was always just kind of like I don't it just didn't really affect me. And, and like, sometimes someone would say it to me later, like, God, remember when everyone in that class was always like making fun of you about whatever. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. But in like a very neutral way, like it never um, had an impact on me, me emotionally. I never had like an emotional experience about what other people thought about me. You're the one writer who was loved into the business. Like, (laughs) well, I don't, I don't know if that's even true. Like, I definitely get a lot of criticism. True. It just doesn't really, I don't really care. The the one bit you have done on the now dying website uh, that we call Twitter is um, is people say things about you because people love to, to comment on a woman's looks. Yeah, and favorite you thing. favorite favorite thing. Um, and it's you know it's like you're like hey I wrote this essay about you or I did original journalism and wrote a profile of like Tucker Carlson they're like you're ugly it's like (laughs) thank thank you for that thank you yes but one of my favorite bits of yours and it's not a bit but it it feels like a bit where you're just like I'm hot and like it baffles people it and I think once again nothing exposes the biases of our culture like a woman confidently asserting, hey, I'm going to keep my last name and a woman confidently asserting, actually, I'm hot. What is your problem? Oh, my God. Nothing makes a man more angry than a woman who doesn't hate herself. But also, like, if you agree with the compliment, like if someone's like, oh, you're so pretty and you're like, thanks, I know. Oh, my God. Like, you should not know that. Like you should definitely never know that. It should be true, objectively true, but you shouldn't have noticed, perceived yourself in any positive way. I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. Also, like, is it a bit? I don't know. I've been doing it for so long. I thought about that when you sent me the thing. I was like, am I joking or am I not joking? I have no idea. I've just You're been not doing- joking. Like, I think this is maybe like the key to being hot and making and feeling hot and making everyone think you're hot is just to like put it on Twitter over and over again. Just be like, I am super hot. And if you do that enough, everyone will be like, oh, yes. That's, that's Aubrey. She is a hot writer. That's Aubrey. Her brand is like feminist comics and being super hot. Great. Perfect. Um, listen, that's it. Um, do you have anything else you want to tell all the ex-wives and the ex-wife vibey? Because I think being an ex-wife is 
not you don't have to get divorced to be an ex-wife you can have the energy of an ex-wife it's about the power of refusal is there anything that you're refusing these days um besides hair dye and men's last names oh my god i love that i love that like you can have the energy of an ex-wife yeah sorry i'm just sitting with that for a minute but i absolutely it's love for that for you everybody People needs listening. to have that yes, yes. You can refuse it. Take it into your life and like make time for yourself. Don't do things that don't make you happy to align with someone else's expectations. You know, just like, and just like, don't, don't give a shit so much. Be hot. Like, uh, yeah, be hot. Be hot. Tell everyone you're hot so many times that it becomes a fact. Yeah, speak it into being. This is our prosperity gospel, but it's just for like women to be more hot. It's just like totally. Oh, or say me. it, claim it, name it. Oh, it's name it, claim it, name it, claim it. Yeah, I love that. Name it, claim it. But also, like, maybe I can spin this into uh, like a mega preacher thing. Like, send me a box <laughs> of like. <laughs> Mac cosmetic. What's like a fancy makeup brand? That's very expensive. Send me expensive, fancy makeup and you will become hot. Mm, mm -hmm. That's what they do. Right. It's like, send me money and you will become rich. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But, but they're sending it to G's. You got to send it to G's. You gotta... Oh, send it. Okay. Send, yeah. send me the makeup. I'll deliver it to Jesus. Cause they're <laughs> sending the money to the, uh, the person though. Right. They're... Right. But he's, okay. they're using it to further the kingdom of the Lord. I'm using it for feminism. Yes. Uh, trust me. It's fine. I'm using it for that. Yeah. Send it to me. I have the direct channel and then you will become hotter because of that. You do have the direct channel to feminism. You are the prophet of refusal. You are, <laughs> you are the John the Baptist making the way of the Lord who is actually a lady. Cause have you seen that hair? I mean, in 20 years, all the babies will have their mom's last names and mm -hmm. everyone will be gray in their 40s. And we will talk about you like our Lord and Savior, Aubrey Hirsch. They're going to be like, remember when Aubrey single-handedly, no one had ever done this, but like invented <laughs> gray hair and gave like single-handedly on her own with no influence at all and no other women ever having done this in history gave us permission to have gray hair and look hot. Remember that? That was a moment. Amen. Amen, sister. Preach it. This American Ex-Wife is a podcast created by me, Liz Lenz, and Zachary Oren-Smith, who you might know by his street name, DJ Fancy Boy. If you like what you heard, you can buy my book, This American Ex-Wife, which will be published on February 20th, 2024. Pre-orders really help determine the success of a book, so pre-order the book through your local bookstore, bookshop.org, or wherever books are sold. And I would just like to end by quoting to you from Iowa, uh, Iowa Law, um, section 206, paragraph 70, which reads, may the dresses we burn light the way. I wouldn't want to like have my back to anything in your basement. What? Do you remember when we went down there for the tornado? Yeah. Um, it's a scary basement. No, it's not. It's a scary basement. It's got like 
ch- children drawings on the walls. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your children are fucking terrifying. Children are, like, madly terrifying. Are you guys going to have some? Oh, God, sorry. Well, I shouldn't child. say that out loud. No, no, no. You're a great, um, you're great. Uh, I'm you just a... said that the, the recording's on, so <laughs> you're canceled. This is a stink. Get, get her ass. Get her ass. <laughs>